Hello and welcome to Kingdom Conversations, a ministry of Faith Covenant Church. We are so excited to have you today as we talk about all things related to the Kingdom of God. Hello and welcome to Kingdom Conversations. I'm so excited to have um, Pastor James in the studio today. And we're going to be talking about um, scriptures that we have been digging deeply into through our Salt and Light study that talk about salvation. And I just asked him to come today and to just help bring a layer of richness to it. And so audience, if you are listening and you know the Lord, you are going to be so encouraged and inspired as we let the word of God do what only it can do. It's going to pierce. It's going to speak. It's going to breathe life into us. Maybe you're listening today and you feel this wooing of God. Pay close attention because he loves you so much. And this conversation is going to show you the hope that comes with salvation. So with that said, I'd like to ask Pastor James, will you go ahead and open us up and tell us, how did you, how did you come to know the Lord? Yeah, so I came to Christ as a young child. I don't remember the exact age. I grew up in a pastor's home. I was homeschooled, so my parents were very diligent to teach the gospel both at home and then at church. It was a small church, and so we were literally there every time the doors were open, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, other times. And so just hearing the gospel a lot is something I grew up with. And um, I don't remember the exact age, but I remember it was in the fall, and my dad and older brother were outside um, mowing the grass and I was inside with my mom and we had this, well, she still has this ugly 70s green couch. And um, she asked me if I wanted to be a Christian and um, talked, explained the gospel to me again. And I said yes. And so I went and knelt down behind the couch and prayed and asked Jesus to save me. Um, so I still remember the moment, um, but I don't remember the exact age. Yeah. I remember years ago, Pastor Kevin did a message and he talked about defining moments and he said, you'll know it's a defining moment because you will remember all of the details. And it's so funny because my defining moment, I remember we had a checkered couch and we had carpet and we haven't had carpet in years. Those little details, right? They stick yeah. in there. Wow. And so um, you came to know the Lord. So what did that look like? How did you grow in your walk with God? Um, I think for me, I'm one of those, as I look back on my life, um, blessed in many ways that I don't have the the deep dark past that many do the because I came to Christ early and then God was faithful for me that I um, never really walked away from the faith never had the seasons of big doubt got into a lot of sin and things that I would regret God was faithful and kept me close to him I think the biggest thing for me that I've realized over the years is that what God saved me from was more from the other side of things, from a life of Phariseeism, because mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time in the more fundamentalist, Pharisaical circles and um, just pride and condescension looking down on other people. And I think God really over the years has saved me from being that kind of person, to being a grace-filled, loving, compassionate person towards those who don't know Christ and 
to everyone that's all of us are growing in our faith. Amen. I love that you um, shared that because I could see how easy it would be to fall. The more knowledge we gain, the more information we have. I think of that verse from, is it 1 Corinthians 8, 1, and it says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Or as my friend Terry would say, puffeth up uh, from King James. King James. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's true. So can I just, before we dive into these verses, ask you, so when you're talking about the pharisaical, it's the knowledge and you just recently were sharing with me how God spoke to you. Knowledge alone can lead to puffing up, but knowledge plus what leads to love? Knowledge and practice, actually living out what you know. That was one of the things Jesus criticized the Pharisees for. He's like, you burden others with burdens and you won't lift a finger yourself, that you put it on other people, but you're not practicing it yourself. And he said, do what the Pharisees say, but not what they do because they were hypocrites. They would mm. say one thing and they would do another. And I think one of the key verses for me was first Corinthians um, six, where Paul goes through this whole list of talking about the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolater, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and such were some of you. And I think that's the antidote to Phariseeism is, and such were some of you, that mm -hmm. that is you without Christ. And just Amen. remembering that just because I grew up in church, just because I grew up in a pastor's family doesn't make me a Christian, doesn't make me better than other people, that yeah. without the grace of God, that's who I was and that's who I would be. And it's just, it's fascinating to me when you read through the book of Deuteronomy where, um, just historically, the the Israelites came out of Egypt. They didn't trust God, and so God killed off. He made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and all the adult generation, 20 and up, passed away. And so then Deuteronomy, they're getting ready to go into the promised land, and Moses is reminding all the people who were kids coming out of Egypt or who were born in the wilderness— reminding them of this. And if you read through Deuteronomy, the thing you see again and again and again is remember you were a slave in mm. Egypt. Just that remembrance yeah. of where you were apart from the grace of God. So that you don't ever take it for granted. Right. Yeah. I don't know why, but when you read from 1 Corinthians 6, mm -hmm. the word we're or were, that was what really, well, you were Amen. Right. We all were First Peter 2, 9, out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. We're not born Christians, right? So let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah, I know it's something I've heard people say before as a pastor. I like to talk to people, ask their testimonies. It's something I've heard before. I've always been a Christian. I was born a Christian or more commonly I get, oh, I grew up in this church. I've been to this church my whole life. And, you know, I was in church before I was even born. And just this misconception that you can be born a Christian just because you're born into a Christian family, this misconception that it's your works, that it's going to church, that gets you into heaven, just this um, misunderstanding of really what the gospel is. That mm. It starts with, no, at some point you were yeah. one of these sinners, maybe not one of the sins in that list in 1 Corinthians 6, but you were a sinner. And it's acknowledging that and recognizing that you need a Savior. Do you think that when people say, you know, I was born a Christian, it's just that like you, they were so young, God got their hearts early. So they don't have a testimony of depravity maybe, but there, well, well, there is depravity in all sin, but their testimony is more like yours. It's learning how to live, not legalistically, 
but learning how to live in the grace that God offers, never forgetting that. Yeah, I think for some, it's like that. They grew up in church, were a quote-unquote good person mm-hmm. their whole life, and so they feel that way. I think for others, though, when I've talked to them, it's the idea that maybe I never really was a sinner that needed grace. Wow. Like I was just born into a Christian family that they don't have this before because you should have the before, then the meet Jesus, and then the after. they not sure they really have the before. So I'm going to go out of order because one of the verses we're going to be talking about today, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That word all really pierces my heart. There's like nobody who um, hasn't, that was born without sin. So is that a verse you would use to speak to that person who's not seeing their sin? Yeah, definitely is the... um they have to recognize their sin, but I think for many people, we just kind of have this idea of, well, it's just a little white lie or, you know, mm. I didn't do anything that bad than just the, the lack of recognition that no, there's no little white lie. It's a lie. Mm-hmm. All it takes is one and God can have no sin in his presence. And so it doesn't matter whether you, if you could make it through your whole life and just tell one little white lie, that one little white lie is yeah. enough to condemn you. When you said God can have no sin in his presence, I just think of, I love when it says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Just that that place of holiness, that when we enter into that, it's that precious moment. And those little white lies, like the little things, and I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure you have, I have, like we when we have those moments of sin in our life and it separates us from God, let me, as I say that, lead to our first verse that we were going to talk about today. And I'm going to read it and then ask you, Will you share a little bit about what's going on and and how it speaks to you? So it's Isaiah 59, 2, and it says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I'd actually like to backtrack a little bit um, with the gospel to start with, to start with some the good news of the Bible, actually, because if you read through the Bible, the Bible really comes in four parts, almost like four movements of a play. And the first part is the creation, that God made the world, and he looked at it, and everything was very good. There was no sin. There was no suffering. There was no sickness, no pain, no Mm -hmm. death. Like, God made everything exactly the way it was supposed to be. But when we look at the world today, it's obviously not that way. There's all sorts of brokenness, pain, suffering, sickness, death, tragedy, war, crime. I mean, you name it. It doesn't take a very smart person to look at the world and say things aren't right. And people recognize that. But we got to understand that this is not the way God made it to be. God's plan was not to create a world full of suffering and disease and death. God's plan, God, what he created was a world that was very Mm. good. And that was his plan for Adam and Eve. But then, like we see in Isaiah 59 two, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And you see in the Bible in Genesis three, that Adam and Eve disobeyed. They had one rule, don't eat the fruit of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they disobeyed God and they ate that fruit. And so their sin separated them from God. And my sin separates me from God. And your sin separates you from God. They hide his face from you so that he does not hear. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's the thing that we have to understand is that our sin, that one little white lie, 
course, we call it white so it doesn't feel so dark and evil. It feels like, oh, it's a good lie. It's white. But it's white. It's not black. <laughs> right. It's, it's like or white. It's not or, like the darkness. Yeah. yeah. And, um, but that lie separates me from God and it makes it so that he hides his face from me and he doesn't hear. Mm. And that's pretty scary. That is such a scary thought to be separated from God because it's in God that we get, that's where the hope comes from. And yeah, in this particular verse, um, who's the audience in the, well, I think Isaiah is talking to the Israelites. He's talking mm-hmm. to the ones that, um, are dealing with the exile where they're being dragged into Babylon because of their disobedience and yeah. God's given them chances to repent and they haven't. And yeah. so he's, it's not just physical exile in Babylon, but there's spiritual exile as well. Okay. That exiled. is powerful, James. There is spiritual exile. It's kind of like when we talk about, um, in Romans, when it talks about death, a lot of times it's talking about the spiritual death, maybe not yeah. an instantaneous physical death, but spiritual. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's where it ends up. Um, at the end of time, the Bible makes it clear that when you die, your sins are going to separate you from God. And I know we're going to get to that here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, why don't we just jump over there now? So Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yeah. The key word there's all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and in the Greek, it means all. <laughs> what about Hebrew? No. <laughs> All. It means all. It means all. Not some, not one or two, not just Hitler. It means mm-hmm. all. All of yeah. us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But as humans, we tend to rank sin, don't we? Oh, yeah. We compare ourselves to others. Well, I've never killed anybody. I haven't stolen anything big. You know, I haven't robbed a bank. I'm not like Hitler. I'm a pretty nice guy. And we compare ourselves to others and we make ourselves feel good. And our sins, we downplay as to our pride and our gossip and our slander or whatever it is we downplay it and say it's not as big of a deal as that person and their sexual sin or their Mm. whatever sin it is yeah yeah that's so good um romans 5 8 through 10 i just love this section of verses and it says for while we were still weak at the right time christ died for the ungodly like if i just sat in that that just shows his heart his passion for us For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? How do you unpack? That's so powerful. Let's unpack that for a minute. Yeah, it is because Paul compares God to us. And he's mm-hmm. like, for people, you're probably not going to die for a righteous person. By the righteous person, think of that annoying kid at school that made hundreds on everything, never got in trouble, just the kid that you love to hate because they're so perfect. And Mm -hmm. he's like, you're probably not going to die for that person because they annoy you. Um, He says, perhaps you die for a good person. You know, you think of um, parents, you die for your kids, right? You Mm -hmm. do what you have to to save them. And someone that's good, someone that we look up to in life is a good person. We'd say, yeah, their life has value. Maybe I'd be willing to to die um, for them. But he gives us, he kind of builds our resume here and it's not pretty. 
Um, if you read through those verses, he gives four words that really is our resume that we bring with us um, when we try to get into heaven. The first word is that we're weak. For mm. while we were still weak, we're weak. That word can mean helpless. It means we can't do anything ourselves. And so we're coming to God saying, hey, I'm weak. I'm helpless. I can't do anything. But let me into heaven. And then it says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So not only am I weak or helpless, I'm also ungodly. It means godly is godlike. So ungodly means I'm not like God. I have sin that mars me. And so I'm standing there at the door of heaven and say, hey, I'm helpless. I can't help myself. I'm ungodly. I'm not like you at all. And then he goes on to say that um, God chose his love while we were still sinners. So not only am I not like God, but I'm sinning. I'm disobeying. Mm -hmm. My sin is what put Jesus on the cross. And so that's not looking good. And if that's not enough reason why you think God should keep you out of heaven... If you look at verse 10, it says, for if while we were enemies. Mm. So you're standing at the door of heaven saying, I'm helpless, I'm ungodly, I'm a sinner that put Jesus on the cross, and I'm your enemy, let me into heaven. Someone knocks on my door, they're not coming into my house that way. Yeah. But the, the cool thing about that verse is that God shows his love for us by sending his son to die in our place. Yeah. We were reconciled means brought back together with God by yes. the death of his son. And that's just crazy that you look at what we bring to the party and what Jesus brings to the party and doesn't seem fair, does it? It doesn't seem fair at all. Mm-mm. It doesn't seem fair at all, especially yeah. when God made the world good, then yeah. we destroyed it by our sin. We put his son on the cross. And yet God says, "Still, I love you and I'm going to send Jesus to yeah. die in your place." A moment my husband had as he was reading through these verses was he said, you know, I was sitting there and I was thinking about it and I was thinking, would I die for a good person? And and he wants to think he would, you know, like he wants right. to think he would do the right thing. Would I die for a bad person? It gets a little bit murkier. And he said, but as I was sitting in these verses, I started thinking, we have four sons. Would I put Brandon or Colton or Seth or Jake, would I let them die? And it's like, that's not even close to what God experienced, but it's the closest we can come to as humans. It really puts in perspective the love that God has for us to give your child, to give your child to, right. I can't even. Right. The closest thing I've, that I can think of is there's a story of a, I think it was a, a Korean pastor, um, that his son was murdered and then the dad went to the judge and begged for them not to prosecute the guy and even adopted the murderer as Whoa. his own son. Wow. <laughs> like I hear that story and I'm just like. Supernatural. Wow. That yeah. is supernatural. There is wow. no way that we could do that in our own strength. Yeah. Wow. Mm. I have not heard that. Yeah. It's a, it's a story I've read before and it's a true story. I just definitely the Holy Spirit, the power of God. That gives birth perfectly to our next verses, which are John 3, 16 through 18. I just want to tell you every time we get to this one, everybody gets excited because we know John 3, 16. But when you really sit in it intimately, and then you add the other two verses with it, it brings such life. And so I'm just going to read those and then ask you just to talk with, I mean, it just perfectly goes with what we're talking about. For God so loved James, for God so loved Mary, for God so loved whoever's listening, he loved the world that he gave his only son 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Let, can we start with, let's talk about condemned. What does that mean? Well, it's the thing of the criminal that's condemned at a trial means you're sentenced. And in this case, the condemned, um, well, it doesn't explicitly say it in these verses. It's the idea that you're contempt, condemned to hell um, eternally, eternally to live separated from God in a place of um, suffering and torment. Mm. Yeah, but there's also so much hope infused in this so let's talk about that there is and this would be the the third act of the bible the first act is the creation that god made the world good and everything was perfect the second act is that we messed it up and we sin call it we call it the fall that we disobeyed god we fell from grace so to speak and so that puts us on the path condemned to hell because i mean he says there in the last verse whoever does not believe is condemned all ready so just by mm. existing and sinning you are already condemned um but then the good news act three is what you call the rescue or redemption mm. that jesus came and rescued us and saved us from our sin that god loved the world to the point that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have eternal life just the good news that god loves us he sent jesus to die in our place so if we believe that Jesus died from us. If we turn from our sins and believe that Jesus took our punishment on the cross, then we get eternal life. It's just crazy to think about. Yeah, for sure. Well, it leads perfectly into Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, and it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So let's yeah. close out this time with that particular verse. Yeah, this is just the reminder that you can't do it yourself. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. And so as humans, we like to earn things. We like mm -hmm. to think that we did it, um, especially in America. That's a very strong cultural value. It's one of the things that has made us a great nation, the person that pulled himself up by his bootstraps, the self-made millionaire. Those are the people that we idolize, that we look up to, is the people that earned it, that did it themselves. And while that's made us a strong country and culture, and there's very good things in that, that's the opposite of what you have to be when you come to Jesus, when it comes to being a Christian. And it's recognizing that it's nothing that you did. You were a weak ungodly sinner who's an enemy of God. That's what you bring to the party. Those are powerful words. Yeah. Like it really puts it in perspective. Um, when you were, when you were talking about that, that there's nothing of ourselves in salvation. I remember I was raised in a wonderful home. I had a stepfather who adopted me and my mom and, um, but it was, we didn't go to church and, um, but they were good moral people. Mm -hmm. And when I was 14, my friend's grandmother invited me to a youth retreat. And um, as we were, I remember just wanting to go because they were going to North Carolina. And so how fun mm -hmm. will that be just to go with some other teens, right? And have you heard of Slide Rock? They had Slide oh, yeah. Rock there, you know. And, oh, yeah. um, and it, was, it was my first time ever being away. But I remember the very first night. And I had never heard, 
that I can remember the plan of salvation. And I don't even know his name anymore. But he got up and as he began to share, I couldn't even hear what he was saying. It was like there were invisible hands pushing me forward. I always laugh and I say, I am like the dream person to get saved because I was all things um, crying and just, I was so eager for God, but it was like I had left the building and the Hmm. spirit just was pushing me up there. I knew that I knew I wanted God. And it was that God was wooing me. It wasn't this man that I can't even remember his name. And I just, I think about that so many times. It had nothing to do with me. It was just this place. Um, There is a verse, I know we're getting towards the end of our our time, but there is a verse that I've shared it on this podcast before, but it's it's one of my favorite verses. And it was from when we were studying um, Revelation. And so I'm going to read, it's Revelation 20, 12. And the reason this speaks to my heart is it reminds me that there are going to be people one day that are going to be standing in the line and all of their sins are recorded and it's too late. It's too late. But there's another line where there's only one book and our name is written in red and it's there and there's, it's, we've been blotted out. Our sin has been blotted out. So let me read this. It says, and I saw the dead, they're in heaven, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and Books with an S were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Like, doesn't that really put in perspective when we think about it's so easy to have. We were having a conversation, James, yesterday with Pastor Kevin about what is kingdom thinking? What this is kingdom thinking. It goes beyond this world. Right? Right. It's the idea that there's something beyond the grave, that there is eternity, and what you do in this life affects what happens to you in the next life, that your sin affects what happens to you, that your sin is written down in those books, that there's no escaping it, that you may think, I've been a good person, but every little thing you've done is written down in those books, and you will have to give an account one day to God for the way you have disobeyed. Yeah. And then when you ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life, what happens to those books? It's blotted out. It says our sins are washed away white as snow. Your name is written in the singular book there in the end, the book of life. Because if you were to read on in those verses, it says those whose names were not found written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. And if your name's not in that book, then that's your destiny. There might be somebody who is listening right now, and maybe you remember a time where you were walking really closely with God or familiar with God, or maybe you're listening right now and you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Can I just tell you that God loves you so much? He's letting you hear this because he is calling your name and you can make that decision right now, wherever you are, if you're in a car, if you're sitting at home. And so I'm going to ask Pastor James that as we, um, as we sit in all of this truth, would you talk to that person listening right now who maybe they've never known the Lord or they want to really rededicate their life to the Lord? Yeah, I would just start off with God loves you and has a plan for your life. Just like he made the world perfect, he made you perfect, exactly the way you were supposed to be. And he loves you. And um, it grieves him that you've disobeyed and that you've sinned and that you've made it so that he 
turns his face from you and that you are separated from him, just like a parent typically loves their child, God loves you, and it it hurts him and saddens him that you're separated from him. And he loves you and sent his son Jesus to die for you. And if we were to read on in Revelation, the next chapter, we find that God makes everything new. God creates a new heaven and a new earth where it literally says there's no more pain. Suffering, death, God wipes away every tear from our eyes, and he restores things back to the way they were supposed to be. And so it comes down to the question is, is which book in heaven is going to be talking about you? Is it the books that record your sin because you haven't turned from your sin and you haven't turned to Jesus? Or have your sins been erased and your name written in the book of life that saves you from the lake of fire? That's something you're going to have to think about and pray about. But if you have never turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, I turn for my sins. I believe you died for me. That's something you need to get right with God. Because like Mary said earlier, when you die, it's too late. Yeah. And I just want to tell you, you don't have to pray the perfect prayer in a perfect order. All God wants to know is, do you want all of him? He's inviting you now to say, Lord Jesus, I'm just going to turn away from my life without you. And I'm asking you to fill me, to be a part of my life. I couldn't help but I went to um, Revelation 21 when Pastor James was sharing. And I, how about if I close with this? Yeah. And it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Listen, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Father, I pray that if there is one person who is listening, and Lord, they've started to drift away from you, that God, would you just call them right back? God, I pray if there's somebody who's listening to this, and they have no idea why, but they've never asked you to be the Lord of their life, would you sit with them right now? Would you speak into them? Would you help them begin a brand new life? One that um, has eternal consequences of eternal life, being with God, being in this new Jerusalem. And Lord, we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Kingdom Conversations. We look forward to you joining us next week.